0: This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series. As you can tell, it's called Dollars and Cents. And over the course of this three-week series, we're going to be talking about money. And we're going to be talking primarily about God's principles for wise money management. It's not going to be a big giving kind of sermon series, but really just about how do we manage God's money wisely. What does that look like to put God's principles into practice with living um, and I uh, am personally very excited about this uh, sermon series, but I recognize that not everybody gets as fired up about money management principles as I do. Like one of my favorite events of the year is that Stacey and I go on our budget date once a year, and I look forward to that. I circle that on the calendar. I get excited about that. Who gets excited about budget dates? Yeah, I realize. Thank you, my wife. <laughs> Woo! Right. You know, I realize that I am sort of alone in that. Not everybody is, you know, gets excited about debt reduction and, and budgeting and planning and financial principles and all that type of stuff. Um, but I do. But I realize that's not the same for everybody. So let me just share kind of an analogy with you, a real life sort of analogy, living illustration from the Santon family. Um, for most of my life, I didn't care about fleas. At all, Fleas, the little things that jump on dogs and jump on your herd. But I didn't care about fleas. I didn't know about fleas. I mean, I knew they existed. I didn't understand their lifestyle. I didn't know about flea eggs. I didn't know what colors fleas were attracted to. I didn't know how long a life a flea lasted. I didn't know how to kill fleas. I, I just didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. I didn't really just didn't give a whole lot of thought to the life and style of a flea. Then came the summer of 2016. And we had a college student staying at our house for the summer, um, and Stacy and I went on a two-week uh, vacation with our family, uh, and we came back to what we have somewhat affectionately or somewhat disaffectionately called flea Fleamageddon. And there were fle- we had the worst flea infestation in our house. I mean, it was just crazy. They, it was on the dog. Fleas were on the dog. The carpet, upstairs, downstairs, every room. They were crawling even on the hardwood floors in the couches. I mean, it was bad. It was flea-mageddon. And it was, I, I mean, I just can't, words don't even describe how bad it was. As a matter of fact, it took us about four to six weeks to get rid of all the fleas in the house. I mean, we bombed the house multiple times. We vacuumed. We spread the powder. We actually separated the dog from the house for about 10 days. I mean, it was just crazy. I would, I would sort of work on a room. And here's how I, this about like fleas and colors, to figure out had we gotten rid of the fleas in the room... I would, it was summer, I had shorts on, I would put on white socks, I would walk in the middle of the room, and if fleas jumped on my socks, I'm like, okay, we're not done with this room. That was my test. That's how I figured out if we're done with the fleas or not. Up until that point in time, I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to fleas. I share that analogy with you because of this. Maybe up until this point in time in your life, you haven't given a whole lot of thought to financial principles or what are God's financial principles. But here's the thing, is as you think about that, in the same way that I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to fleas and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I need to know a lot about fleas, I did it because I got in this place where I was in a bunch of trouble. And the same is true when we talk about financial plans, that, that for some of you, you are in flea You are in whatever the financial version of flea is in terms of debt and stress and all of that type of stuff. And you're like, how do I get out of this? And then there's others of you that don't have financial issues, but if you can kind of figure out on the front end what are God's principles, then you'll be a whole lot better on the back end. And it's the type of thing that... This is, what we're going to talk about is really true. Most of what we're going to talk about is true regardless of where you're coming from spiritually. Because it doesn't matter where you're coming from spiritually. Like, if you've been a Christian forever and ever and ever, if you know the Bible forwards and backwards, or maybe you've never been to church, or this is your first time at church in a long time, or you just don't know your way around the Bible, all of us have the same kind of goal and desire, is that we don't want financial stress in our lives. We want financial freedom. We want financial peace In our lives, it's what all of us want. I haven't ever met anybody that says I love getting stressed out about money. I haven't met anybody who goes, I really like it when my wife and I fight about money. That's really fun. I like it when my wife, you know, goes and spends stuff that we don't have money for. I like it when my husband goes and puts a brand new TV on a credit card and doesn't ask me. I love those kind of fights. I don't know anybody like that. I don't know anybody who says, I really like it when there's still days left in the month, but we don't have any money left. Everybody wants financial peace. Everybody wants this financial freedom. But the reason that we don't have financial peace, the reason that we don't have financial freedom in our lives is because we have violated the principles that God gives us that are universal. The principles that God gives us, we have violated those principles, and so we end up financially stressed out. And here's the interesting thing about the kind of the principles that God gives us, is that we can violate the principles once or a couple times, and there's no consequences. It's not like Pinocchio. You know the story with Pinocchio is that as soon as Pinocchio lies, his nose grows. He lies again. His nose grows. And so when there's an immediate consequence to his actions, he eventually learns how to stop lying because his nose grows. It's obvious. I mean, it'd be the same for us if if every time you gossiped, your tongue would grow an inch, right? And then you gossip again, to grow another inch. You know, we'd be like Jar Jar Binks with our tongues hanging out, you know. It'd be pretty quick that we would say, I need to stop gossiping. But you see, when it comes to violating the principles, the financial principles, we can get away with it because the consequences aren't till down the road. You see, following God's principles for financial management is much more like what's sometimes called the law of the harvest. That if you have a a field and you go and you really work the field and you clear out the rocks and you put the right soil in there and you really work the field and you put the seeds in the right place in this field, and then over in this field, you just throw the seeds out there, well, the next day, the fields look the same, don't they? And maybe a week later, the field looked the same. And a month later, maybe even the same. But down the road, the field that has had the work put into it, that you have sowed into, you reap a harvest. And over here, it doesn't turn out well. But you don't see the results for a while. And putting financial principles that God gives us into practice is a lot like that. We don't necessarily see the problem right away. But over time, we see the benefit of following it or the hardships that come with violating God's principles. And so we're going to talk about that. Now, some of you who are here are uh, in high school, college, graduate school. And for those of you who are, you know, not sort of working, you're going, well, I'm going to tune out for three weeks of this series. And I want to tell you, if you don't yet earn an income, you probably need to take better notes on this sermon series than anybody else. Because I could parade a dozen, two dozen, three dozen people up here on stage from this service who said, I wish that I'd made better choices when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, 25 years old, because now I'm kind of reaping the problems of it later. So this is an everybody is in type of sermon. It's not like, hey, I don't have a lot of money or that type of thing. This is where everybody can follow God's principles. And so what we're going to do is we're going to begin this morning in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 6, and uh, this is in uh, what's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in this sermon is talking about all kinds of different things. He's talking about lust. He's talking about anger. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about how to get along with people. He's talking about all kinds of things, and one of the topics he covers is money, and so we find this in Matthew chapter 6. And Now, let me pray before we read God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we look into your Word, as we look into this Sermon on the Mount and the words of Jesus, I pray that they would penetrate our hearts, that we would see how they apply to our lives, and that we would live them out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So it begins like this, verse 21. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says, Wherever your money goes... That's where your heart is. If you want to see what's important to somebody, look at what they spend money on. And again, this is, this is a universal principle that is true of everybody. This is not just a Christian principle or what, anything like that. This is like anybody that you want to see what's important to them, you look at where their money goes, and that shows what they value. And you can see it in, in how people spend money on all kinds of different things. You know, Maybe sometimes you see somebody, and they have a really nice house, but they drive kind of beater-type cars. Well, that shows what they value. Or sometimes you meet somebody who lives in you know, kind of a small house or an inexpensive house, and they drive really nice cars. Well, that shows what they value. If you've ever bought a house, buying a house shows where your heart is because you put your treasure there. You buy a house that has a really nice kitchen because you care about cooking. Maybe you buy a house that has a really big yard because you want your kids to play in the yard. Maybe you buy a, a house that's pretty far out in the country because you want to have a lot of land that shows where your heart is. You put your heart where your treasure is. It shows up in where you buy a house. It shows up in all kinds of different things. But where our treasure is, there's our heart. The two are side by side. Then goes on to verse 22. And Jesus tells this quirky little parable in the middle of this. And let me read it to you. It says this. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And you read that, and you're like, what does that mean? That's just a kind of a weird, quirky little parable that Jesus tells. Now, here's kind of a Bible reading, understanding 201. If you ever want to understand a passage that you don't understand— Always look at the context, what comes before it and what comes after it. So what comes before it, Jesus is talking about money. What comes after it, Jesus is talking about money. So this quirky little parable is like, what does that mean about light and dark and eyes? It fits in in what Jesus is saying about money. And here's what he's saying. He says that, He's saying that our eye is our view of money and that our body is our life. So, and here's sort of how this works out in a practical way. If we are, if our eyes, or if we are generous with our money, just in in terms of generosity with people, that that's going to carry through and be true of the rest of our lives as well. That when we are generous financially, we're going to be generous with people just in the way that we live. And you've probably seen that. You've met people who are just generous. They seem to care and help people and pay for things and things like that. And they have just a way of life that is loving and caring and others-centered. But the darkness side is—you see that the same way. If you ever met people who are just tight with their money, I'm not saying budging much; they're just tight with their money. They don't want to spend money on anybody besides themselves. They tip cheaply. They—you know—all that type of stuff. You look at their lives; it's a window into the rest of their lives, and they tend to be very self-centered and self driven. And so that's what this parable is saying. It says money is kind of indication of where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then it continues in verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he has this last little phrase. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Now, if you didn't know what the sermon was about, if you had just happened upon this verse and you were to fill in the blank, he said, you can't serve God and, what would you put in that blank? You'd probably think, well, you can't serve God and the devil. Well, you can't serve God and yourself. Well, you can't serve God and the world. But it says, you can't serve God and money. Why is that? It's because there's always a hierarchy between God and money. Either money is over God or God is over money. They cannot exist side by side. You cannot serve God and money. And so then the question for us is, well, are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve money? And every one of us in here, 98% of us, probably 100% of us, are answering that question going, well, I'm going to serve God, obviously. I'm not going to serve money. But I would challenge us to take a deeper look and say that may be what we want to do in our heads, but is that the reality in our lives? Do we serve God or do we serve money or do we try and serve them side by side? Because I think that we spend a lot of time thinking about our stuff. We spend a lot of time buying more stuff, protecting our stuff, getting stuff for our kids. There's a lot in our lives that are wrapped up in our stuff and our money, and I'm not so sure that with all of us that it's that clear that we aren't serving God and money, that there isn't a hierarchy. Now, each week we're going to talk about one principle, and here's the principle that flows out of what we've just looked at, and it's this. You can write this down. The principle is this, is tell your money what to do. Tell your money what to do. Tell your money where to go. In other words, when we say that um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, we want to make that decision consciously. Say, this is where my money is because this is where my heart is. Therefore, I'm going to tell my money where to go. (laughs) The the relationship works like this in terms of sort of a flow chart. Is that God tells me where to put my money and then I tell my money where to go. I make decisions. God tells me, and then I tell my money, do this. But when those get reversed, here's what happens, is that we make decisions, and now we are beholden to where our money is. right, well, I've got to pay this bill. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And we become obligated. And so our money is telling us, dictating things in our lives, and then we tell God what to do. God, you've got to give me money to fix my car. God, would you please provide for me so that I can pay this bill? God, would you help me win the lottery? God, would you, When we pray these prayers of money prayers because our money is telling us what to do, and now we have gotten in a situation where we're trying to tell God what to do, when in fact the order is God tells us what to do, and then we tell our money what to do. So what does this look like in a practical sort of way? We're talking about how do we find financial peace, how do we find financial freedom? Let me read to you a passage. This is something else that Jesus said, and it really applies here very well. This is Luke chapter uh, 14 verse 28. It says, "For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not sit down, uh, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So what it's saying is it's saying, if you're going to build a house, the wise way to do it is to lay out how are you are going to spend the money. Do you have enough to complete it? Because that's going to determine how big your foundation is and what you can build on top of it. It says, make a decision ahead of time. It's actually talking about a tower. It says, desiring to build a tower, sit down and count the cost. Now, he's, the initial kind of big application of this is, in terms of discipleship, count the cost of what it's going to be like to follow Christ. But a smaller application is exactly what we're talking about here. You say, okay, we're going to build a tower. Do I have enough money to do it? We say, okay, we're going to live this month. This is the way I want to live my life this month in terms of spending. Do I have enough money to do it? It's that we count the cost first. Here's the word I've been trying to avoid because everybody's like, ooh, I hate that word, but I'm going to use it here anyway. It's the word budget. That's what it means to tell your money what to do. It's to have a plan about how you are going to spend your money. And again, we allow God to prioritize our needs, and then we have a plan for how we're going to spend God's money. Every time I do prayer meal counseling, I always sit down with a couple And I talk about budgeting. And then they submit a budget to me. And and of the couples that I've done familiar counseling with, some of them continue on and do, you know, they do their budgeting, you know, forever and ever after that. And some of them give it up after a while. And as I talk to people, pretty much everybody that I talk to says, I would like to live on a budget. I would like to have a budget. And I tried it for a month or two and it didn't go so well. Or I tried it, and it was too hard, or we let it lapse, or, you know, and I talk to people, a lot of people try and live on a budget, or have a budget, or tell their money where to go, but then it ends up failing. And why is that? And here's why I think most budgets fail. It's not because you don't earn enough money. It's not because you don't have the tools. It's because you don't have a goal that is bigger than yourself. You see, if we have a goal that is bigger than ourselves, then we will tell our money what to do. It's sort of like, you know, eating healthy. There aren't very many people that I know that like to eat healthy. You know, I love eating healthy. Most of us like our sugars. Most of us like our carbs. Most of us like that. And so we make changes to the way that we eat because we have a bigger goal. You know, I want to lose a certain amount of weight, or I want to be able to play with my kids and not get out of breath. I want to be able to sit in, fit into a pair of jeans. I want whatever it is, you know, that's why you have a, that's why you eat healthy or exercise because you have a bigger goal. And the same is true when we talk about a plan or a budget. There's something bigger than yourself that you're shooting for. Because most people are not like me and go, "Ooh, I just love budgeting. People aren't typically wired like that. I'm not actually wired like that. But you see, Stacy and I, for all of our married life, have had a goal that was bigger than ourselves that drove us to tell our money what to do. When we were first married, our goal was really to not go into debt. I didn't make very much money. and said, we don't want to go into credit card debt. We just don't. And so we were very meticulous with telling our money where to go. And then as we got a little bit older and got a little bit more income, our bigger goal that we're shooting for is actually a little bit different. And now our bigger goal is we want to be able to give away money. We want to be able to give away as much money as we can. And so we tell our money what to do so that we have this bigger goal so that we can give money to the work of God that we want to give money to. So I challenge you, what is your bigger goal that you're shooting for? I want to take the last five minutes and talk specifically to one particular group here. And this group may be very large or may very, very very small, um, and you can decide if you're in this group or not. But I want to talk to those of you who have debt. could be credit card debt. could be IRS debt. It could be um, car debt. It could be student loan debt. Pretty much any debt other than mortgage. If you have that kind of debt, I want to talk to you about God's principles about getting out of debt. Now, if you're in that situation and you're in debt, you may look at that, you may look back, and you say, you know, it was kind of worth it. I spent money on this, and I'm glad I spent money on this. Or you may look back, and you go, that was a terrible decision that I made a year ago, or three years ago, or however long it was, that kind of put you on this road to debt. You may look back in one, and say, yeah, I'm good, or maybe I'm not. But regardless of whether you are sort of buyer's remorse over what put you into debt or not, nobody I know loves paying interest. Whether it's twenty-eight percent or two percent, nobody's going. Yes, I get to pay interest. Woo! I get to give money to the bank, to Visa, to whoever, to the IRS. We don't. Nobody likes that. And so, what we want to do is the goal that is bigger than ourselves is to say, "How can I get out of debt?" That's what we are working for. Proverbs twenty-one five says this: "The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty." This verse says that when we are diligent, then it leads to abundance. But when we make hasty decisions, that's when we end up in trouble. And so this idea of getting out of debt, it's a diligent step in the same direction, the same direction, the same direction. Dave Ramsey is uh, probably one of the foremost authorities on getting out of debt. Uh, And so what I want to do is actually I'm kind of ripping this off from Dave Ramsey in a very, he has a nine-week class on it, which we call Financial Peace. I'm gonna give you about a 95-second overview of it, um, but I wanna help you just take those initial steps. So here's his steps to Financial Peace, what he calls his baby steps. Um, so step zero is no new debt. If you're in debt, cut up your credit cards and say, we're not doing any more credit card debt. Here's the, the step one. Is um, and by the way, if you need to replace credit cards with debit cards, that's one thing. But is um, but cutting up credit cards where you accrue more interest. So here's step one. See, so says a thousand dollars in the bank. Whatever it takes, do it as fast as you possibly can. Get $1,000 in the bank. And listening to his talks is really interesting. I mean, he is fanatical about it. He says, have a yard sale, have a garage sale, sell stuff on eBay, take stuff to the pawn shop and sell it. Whatever it takes, sell your stuff, and within a week to two weeks, get $1,000 in the bank. So that when something happens, a car repair comes, an issue comes up that you don't have to swipe the credit card and go into more debt, that you've got this emergency fund, and then make sure that is always at $1,000. The step, second step that Dave Ramsey recommends is pay off all debt with what he calls the debt snowball. And so on all your payments, you make the minimum payment, and then you take the smallest amount, and you put as much as you possibly can towards that amount. And then when that amount is paid off, you take that amount and you apply that to the next smallest um, amount of debt. And you put everything that you have there, you put work work towards that, and then you, to the next one. And he calls that the debt snowball, his strategy for paying off debt. The next step is to have three to six months of salary in the bank. This is your emergency fund against big sort of lifestyle, life changes, major changes that come along. And then after that, it's just kind of steps towards uh, wisdom. The fourth one is invest for retirement, uh, be diligent about paying off debt, and then roll money into retirement. Um, college funding is number five, fund your kids' education. Six is pay off your loan, and then seven is build well. So that's Dave Ramsey. Again, he is one of the financial gurus um, that I listen to and that a lot of people um, put a lot of wisdom in because he has these biblical principles behind it. So let me go back and talk to everybody for just a minute. Here's the application that I have that I want for all of us, and it's this. Whether you're 15 or 55, whether you have $1,000 or $100,000 of debt or whether you have no debt at all, whether you make $200 a year or $2 million a year, here's what I want to challenge everybody here to do is for one week, keep track of your spending. For one week, just on a piece of paper or on the notes of your iPhone or wherever it is, But keep track of all of your spending, 100% of it. So we spent, you know, $8 at Taco Bell. We spent $20 at Kroger's. I spent, you know, $59 on the water bill. I spent $37 playing tennis in a court time. I spent this on this. And write down every single dollar that you spend for a week. And just see where it goes. Have an evaluation. And you don't have to turn it in or show anybody. Just this, it'll help you to see where your money is going so that you take that next step of telling your money where to go. And you may look at it and you go, you know what, I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Or you may look at that and go, wow, didn't realize I spent so much money in eating out. Didn't realize I spent so much money in gas or whatever it is. But write it down and then look at it so that you can take those next steps towards telling your money where to go. I want to go back painfully to Fleamageddon for a minute right? Flea Fleamageddon happened. It wasn't because we had a college student there. He well, there were some signs before on our vacation that maybe we had fleas, but I think we ignored it. But you know why we had Flea fleamageddon? Or put it a different way, there was one thing that we could have done to prevent this whole summer of 2016 Flea fleamageddon. If we had done one simple thing, if we had bought a dog collar, a flea collar for our dog, that would have most likely prevented the whole outbreak of fleas. But we didn't, for whatever reason. I don't really know why we didn't. The, the dog has a collar on all the time now, a flea collar. But we didn't do that one thing. And it caused all of this heartache. We spent way more money trying to fumigate the house and get the house clean than we would on a dog collar, a flea collar. And I share that with you. As you think about your future, as you think about a future that is, involves financial freedom, that involves financial peace, it starts with some small steps, which seem like small steps, but you put these principles into practice, and over time, the result is great. But when we violate them, when we don't do the things that we need to do, like telling our money where to go and some of the other things that we're going to talk about, it adds up to huge issues down the road. And so we kind of have this choice. Do we want to do the work on the front end, which is a lot less difficult, or do we want to kind of try to figure out things and live stressed out on the back end, which is a lot more miserable? Those are kind of the two choices we have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, uh, and I pray that you would help us to live financially honoring lives to you, Lord. Um, And God, some of us are in places uh, of good financial freedom, and other places people are just drowning in it. But God, show us each one what is the next step for us to take to align our lives to how you want us to live so that we have this financial freedom.